Hey there. Welcome to the If Money Were Easy podcast, the show where we teach you how to expand what's possible with your money. We're your hosts, Neela Hummel and Mary Beth Storjahan, certified financial planners and co-CEOs of Abacus Wealth Partners. Today on the show, we're going to talk about is going sober curious a financial win? Before we jump in, we'd like to issue a trigger warning on this week's episode. Neil and I will be talking about alcoholism, sobriety, its impacts on your finances, personal health, and well-being. And so if you are somebody that is negatively impacted by this topic in your life, we want to encourage you, give you permission to skip this week's episode, turn into next week's, and give yourself the peace of mind. We think this is a really interesting topic. Neil and I have chatted offline quite a bit about drinking and societal expectations and where we are as women and how it shows up in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So, Nee, where did you start your journey with this? How did this become something personally that showed up in your life? So I'm going to straight up say I haven't given up drinking completely, but I have dramatically reduced the amount that I drink. And it all started that we took a family trip to France to celebrate my dad's 80th birthday. And France is synonymous with wine. And we spent a glorious week that involved games and reminiscing and cheese and bread and, of course, wine. And when we got back, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, I just feel like I kind of need a body break. You know, like we were never mm-hmm. drinking to excess on any given day, but it was just kind of a constant thing that we were doing with meals, et cetera. We were just like, let's just take a pause. And after a few weeks of that, I started noticing a few things. I started noticing that my mind felt clearer. My sleep got better. I started feeling like I could almost enjoy social engagements more. And it was just this compounding effects. And then I also realized that we were spending less money because alcohol is super expensive. So it's been this really interesting journey of slowing down and then noticing how it made me feel and then other effects that rippled down. I lost a couple pounds. I spent a little less money and it kind of got me thinking where I'm like, Sober curious, you know, the alcohol is a huge multi-billion dollar industry huge, and it is fueled by spending. And so it really got me thinking of what are the financial costs, both day-to-day spending as well as societal costs that drinking is actually having on us. Mm -hmm. I love it. So tell me a bit then about what does sober curious mean? So it's catch-all term of people who are choosing to take a break from alcohol, either temporarily or permanently. And I would also put somebody like myself in there of just somebody who's re-examining their relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. It is a growing trend. I feel like anecdotally, more and more people that I've interacted with are experimenting with this. Generationally, Gen Z is leading the charge here. And in aggregate, they're drinking 20% less than their millennial counterparts, i.e. our generation. Go Gen Z. Yeah. And that it's people are kind of overall pulling back. And I think the pandemic had something to do with this because the number of people you talk to who are like, my drinking got kind of out of control during the pandemic. A lot of people are pulling back and and re-examining what is the role that alcohol plays in my life. 
Yeah, especially for women, right? There were so many articles that came out during the pandemic and afterwards at the rate in which women turned to drinking yeah. during COVID to get through. And it's really interesting. And I think now there is a bit of a wake up. People yeah. are starting to reexamine and think, okay, maybe this is a little too much. Right. And you know, before we jump into the the cash flow parts of this and, and dive in deeper, not similar. I did not go to France with my family and, and have this realization, but also <laughs> on this journey, I will drink. I haven't given it up completely, but I'm very mindful. So I said like in the past four months, I've maybe had four drinks, maybe right. one drink a month. And so it's been really interesting again, to notice the effects on your body, being mindful yeah. of that and noticing like how it progressed. I shared with you offline of this thing where, you know, I was a beer and wine girl. And then I always had my dirty martini as my drink of choice. And then it was my fancy night out drink. That was my fancy night out drink. Yeah. And then it became my okay, we're going out to dinner. So I'm having a dirty martini drink. So it went from, from wine to vodka. It creeped. It had total scope creep. And that was my go-to. And then I'm a, I might sound like I have a big personality, but I'm a, I'm a little person, <laughs> a little person to body. So, you know, two dirty martinis and I'm good to go for the night. And so just noticing those trends of like that creep and then being able to phase out of it though, and looking at my body and like, how do I feel and how much better my sleep is and the cravings that come, you know, after you do have a night of drinking and it's short term enjoyment for what's the price that you pay the next day. And we are not in our twenties anymore. So yeah. that recovery time is, it's elongated. So I think just taking that step back though, it's definitely a financial win, but I think it's like a mental health, yeah, physical health win as well all around, because there are a lot of benefits to it. You bet. And, you know, I mean, you hit on this when during the pandemic, it, it hit women acutely. And I think because at the end of the day, alcohol is a form of coping mm -hmm. and it's a way of reacting to stress. And I think the hardest thing for me when I took a clean break after the France trip was thinking about how I was almost reaching for it as like an automatic, as like a default, as like, oh, it's been a hard day. I'm going to pour that glass right. of wine. Yeah. And I need a glass gotta, of wine. Like how many I times did I say, I need a glass of wine. Yep. I got to do that. And when you don't have that, you're almost forced to address the thing that mm -hmm. is driving you to pour that glass of wine in the first place. Right. And it sucks. <laughs> it totally sucks. <laughs> it totally sucks. It's kind of like, you know, the episode that we did on boundaries, you're forced to look at different things say like, why am I doing that? Right. Oh, because I want to go out and I want to go out with my friends. Does it actually matter what you drink when you go out with your friends? Is it the alcohol that you care about or is it the company? Mm -hmm. It's the company. And we also talked about this a little bit in the boundaries episode, the business, how big of a business alcohol is. And so where it's traditionally maybe marketed to men in the past, right? You have the mad men era of things yep. and where women would maybe have like a cocktail and like through a magazine, like just flipping and seeing the advertisements geared towards us. Now, advertising towards women from the alcohol industry is heavy, like double down situation. Heavy. And social media is a place where we advertise to each other. We talk about like it's wine o'clock somewhere. It's like the giant glasses of wine. That's always, you know, women are pouring those ones. And like we joke about it. And it's funny in, in those ways when we think about like the societal standards and expectations and the advertising, the, the billions of dollars yeah. in the advertising that is being poured into telling us this is how we should unwind. This is what we should do. It's a business. It's a juggernaut. Yeah. And they're profiting oh. off of us. I found an article that showed that out of every $100 that Americans spend, $1 goes to alcohol. Hmm. Seems like a lot of money. A lot of money. Think about all the money that we spend in terms of mortgages and cars and all those things. A dollar goes to alcohol. Like that seems yeah. like a lot. 
And I don't know if anybody else noticed that all of a sudden, particularly in Los Angeles and in California, California. I blinked and it's now normal to have like $19 cocktails on menus. California and New York, I should say, because I know it's the same there as well. (laughs) It is is bananas. I'm like, I just feel like it's an ATM machine. It's yeah, the bespoke cocktails. That's a little, but it's also now $15 for a non-alcoholic fancy beverage. So it's like, well, you don't want to drink, but we're still going to charge you $15 for this fancy fruit juice and your syrup that you're getting here. (laughs) Just as an aside. And, you know, again, those costs add up. The difference between a can of sparkling water versus a beer is it's going to be cheaper. It's still a cost, but it's still going to be cheaper. And just for fun, I was like, okay, so in this world of $18 cocktails that then after tax and tip, it's 25 bucks a pop. If you're doing that twice a week and you do that for an entire year, you basically are spending $2,600 a year on just those cocktails. And as financial planners, what would happen if you invested $2,600 a year for 30 years in a diversified portfolio that on average returned you 8% annualized return, you'd have nearly $300,000. I'm just going to pause right here and say, yes, we did just avocado toast and latte this into (laughs) your future. And I'm so excited because Neela didn't realize that she did this and I'm like dying inside right now. It's wonderful, but this is exactly what it is. And so we are aware, right? If you're thinking this is the avocado toast thing, it is. This is alcohol. So it's not just your finances. It's also your physical health. So it's your physical health. So we are giving ourselves permission to go down this. This is being mindful. So we have permission to do this. But you're right. I'm a hypocrite. No, No, it's not (laughs) avocado toast. Avocado toast, I guess we could argue, is like heart healthy for the avocado. But, you know, alcohol. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. So we're we're good here. Good call. But $300,000, that was huge. To be honest, if I looked back, I feel like mine was more than $2,600. A year because it's like that's for yourself. Mine was if you're in a couple, if you're paying for other things for family or for friends, like it's likely more. And like, don't even get me started on what I probably spent on my 20s. Actually, seems really reasonable, probably to what I spent like at a younger point yeah. in time. It's astronomical, right? Especially with how inflation has hit the industry as mm-hmm. well. So we're talking about the cash flow savings, right? You're going out for a night of drinking, right? You probably spent a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. Then how do you feel the next day though? Yeah. Right. That is the real crux. We can talk about the day-to-day cash flow savings, which is material, but I think it buries the lead on the bigger cost. And it's the cost is your time, the cost is your well-being, and your just general health. I mean, the CDC has done some analyses on this and that the cost of excessive alcohol use in the United States costs us over $249 billion a year. $249 billion dollars. That was based on a study that was in 2010. And I guarantee you it is worse than (laughs) that. It is worse. It is worse. worse. Where do those costs show up? They show up as a loss in workplace productivity. They show up in costs in additional healthcare. They show up in criminal justice expenses in terms of DUIs, et cetera, motor vehicle crashes, et cetera. Those are financial costs. And those don't even talk about emotional costs and human costs and other things that really can add up. Right. Understanding one night of drinking, it's really the cost of your hangover, right? The cost of your hangover for yourself and your productivity and what's that personal impact on you. And then when you have the compound effect of society that turns to drinking, what does that look like and what does that do? And we're not here to shame drinking. This is where 
yeah. think the two of us just happen to be at this phase in life simultaneously. So we wanted to bring it up because it is in terms of cash flow, in terms of financial impacts. It's a very interesting lens to take on drinking, right? And like, why do we drink? How does it show up in our lives? What are our true intentions when we're going out with friends and family? How do you feel when you don't drink? And does yeah. that impact your relationships? Are you not invited? Does it make it more weird for other people than you? When you pause to look at these things, it's really interesting from like a holistic standpoint, not right. just financial, but the financial right. impacts of drinking. If you are somebody that struggles with drinking or you are somebody that feels like you drink too much, when you take a magnifying glass to it, it could be shocking to you. It could be a little bit jolting when you when you take that lens and look like, okay, how much am I drinking? You know, yeah. when you go to the doctor and they ask you like, how many drinks do you have per week or per day on that checklist? Where do you fill it out? And so I think there's a, a financial motivator here. Yes, if you take that money, and reallocate it and invest it over time. Amazing. You will definitely have more net worth, but it's not just the money that you're spending on the alcohol. It's also the future cost of your healthcare. That if you do have drinking and the long-term impacts that can have on your body and that the long-term impacts that can then have on your healthcare and your health expenses. And that's where it's really going to get you. So we're talking about, you know, $2,600 is a lot of money, but healthcare expenses are the thing that impacts your financial plan. It is the thing that we zero in on as financial planners and the generation probably listening to this. You're paying high premiums right now because insurance is astronomical no matter what, but the long-term care expenses and healthcare as you age can be the wild card for you. You bet. I want to issue a giant disclaimer in that if you are struggling with alcohol abuse or alcoholism, there are lots of resources out there and we are not intending to be flippant or reductive about a topic like this. Alcoholism is a disease. And so for a lot of people, it's not just, hey, let me look at the budget, see how much I'm spending, and I'm going to cut this out. There are a lot of people who do struggle and it is a disease. And so if you are feeling like you are at a point where you don't feel in total control, please examine some of the resources that we'll put in the show notes and you can turn to some of those sources for help. You know, one of the books I know that we we both have read is Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. That was an interesting one. I know there's another one called Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington. Those are two really good books on this topic in terms of exploring really just asking why. You know, there's yeah. a lot of stats that are thrown at you. You can Google any articles in terms of the impact of drinking. But it's really one of the things we want to dig into on this podcast. And as you probably notice, is really being mindful. What's the why behind it? And as we're trying yeah. to live our lives in this more intentional way, and we're trying to be more present to the decisions we're making and understanding patterns, whether it's around money or personal choices and societal expectations, what is the role that alcohol may or may not play in your life? And do you feel good about it? Or do you feel like maybe there could be some changes? And how could that impact you if you did make changes? Otherwise, if it's not relevant, you can stop listening to the podcast right here as well. (laughs) (laughs) This is really about coming from a place of mindfulness, of understanding. For me, it was. I realized I was turning to something a little bit more than I thought. The idea of I need a glass of wine definitely got me through the pandemic. Oh my gosh, I think like the wine component for me was a big one. And then realizing when I stopped to pause the impact that it had on my body. And so it actually started yeah. with understanding the impact of red wine. Like, how did I feel after I have wine? Right. How do I feel like after I have a beer? How do I feel after I have this dirty martini? And then starting to understand, okay, is it how many glasses of these? And so I didn't go with, okay, I'm just not doing this. I actually became mindful of the impacts of after a couple drinks, after one drink, yeah. the sleeping side of it, the anxiety side of it as somebody who does have anxiety, you know, how does that impact me in the days following? And so it's really like more observing 
those things and being able to make conscious choices and feeling good when I do make the decision to drink because I'm likely not cutting it out completely. I'm not going cold turkey here, but I think when I do make those choices, I feel empowered by it. I feel like this is what I want right now. And I'm choosing this because I'm interested in the taste. Like I've actually switched from wine to beer now is the thing. And so like understanding like the different breweries that we have around here in San Diego. And so I'm very mindful of what my intention is when I am. Yeah are taking. I'm not just drinking to drink or drinking to numb or drinking yeah. because everybody else is drinking. I'm I'm going in with an intention and, you know, cap and parameters and boundaries on it, which I think is what feels good. It's basically inertia is a powerful force. And as soon as you can pull back and be mindful about the why, it puts you back in the driver's seat. And so same, if I am at a Mexican restaurant and they've got some custom spicy mezcal margarita, I'm going to be like, ooh, I really want to try that. But again, I'm doing it on my terms and not just on autopilot because I think that's really the power. Yeah. Yeah. And so from the financial standpoint, this always goes back to like, what's the overflow effect? We talk about analyzing your cash flow, but it's understanding the choices that we make in our daily lives and how that impacts us over the long run and what's the overflow effect of it. So are you drinking hungover, losing out on work, having to call in sick? Are you drinking, not feeling great, spending more on takeout the next day because you don't want to cook? You know, versus like, hey, you're investing in a gym membership. What's the return there? I mean, depending on where you're at, it might be less health costs, better mental health, maybe like less on therapy. So just like what are the waterfall effects of the spending decisions and time decisions that you're making? And how could that be showing up in your cash flow in other areas beyond just the line item? When you start to dig into those things and be more mindful about it, I think there's some interesting tidbits that may or may not show up for you. Love that. I think that's a perfect way of ending it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of If Money Were Easy. If this is the year that you want to expand what's possible with your money, and you can use some professional guidance along the way, head over to abacuswealth.com backslash get started and schedule your free consultation. Abacus Wealth Partners is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of Abacus Wealth Partners by the SEC, nor does it indicate that Abacus Wealth Partners has attained a particular level of skill or ability. This material prepared by Abacus Wealth Partners is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to serve as a substitute for personalized investment advice or as a recommendation or solicitation of any particular security, strategy, or investment product. Opinions expressed by Abacus Wealth Partners are based on economic or market conditions at the time this material was written. Facts presented have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable. Abacus Wealth Partners, however, cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of such information, and certain information presented here may have been condensed or summarized from its original source. Abacus Wealth Partners does not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing contained in these materials should be taken as tax or legal advice. Economies and markets fluctuate. Actual economic or market events may turn out differently than anticipated. No investor should assume that future performance will be profitable or equal either the previous reflected performance or that of the reference benchmarks.
The historical performance results of the comparative benchmark do not reflect the deduction of transaction and custodial charges or the deduction of an investment management fee, the incurrence of which would decrease indicated historical performance. The S&P index includes 500 leading companies in the U.S. and is widely regarded as the best single gauge of large cap U.S. equities. The holdings and performance of Abacus Wealth Partners client accounts may vary widely from those of the presented indices. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Abacus Wealth Partners and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Abacus Wealth Partners unless a client service agreement is in place.